Alright, welcome everybody to another episode of Easy Street Sports. This week, I want to take a look at the college level, and I'm going to explore the top 10 quarterback prospects that I believe are out there. Then, if we have time, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Lions as a franchise, and my perception of them at this point in time. And then there's some small news, but I think very, very important news about Jimmy Garoppolo out in San Francisco, and then we'll wrap things up there. But to open up with the quarterback prospects for next year, I think that the quarterback market for next year is going to be much, much better than this year with Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, so on. I think next year we're going to see a lot more quarterbacks go, and I think the quarterback class just as a whole is much, much better. But let's get into it. Before I get started, I want to talk about some quarterbacks that I looked at that I think should be important. It should be important to still look at them next year and see how they develop. But I still think that they don't quite make my top 10 list. And one of those quarterbacks is Spencer Rattler. Now, he did seem to have some positive qualities. Um, he can improvise. Um, if the pocket breaks down, he can make some good throws. He's got decent arm strength. But overall, I think when it turn when it comes to terms with uh, football IQ, I think he's marginally better than some of these guys that are not in my top ten. If that, um, he's not super athletic. I mean, he can improvise and make some runs, but he doesn't have the speed that's going to beat. Georgia or Alabama. He doesn't have that level speed. Um, he forces a lot of throws. He seems rushed, less composed in the pocket. And he makes some dangerous passes to his receivers. So if a receiver's making a slant or running a slant route, depending on how you throw that, your receiver can immediately catch it and then get blindsided by a linebacker. And that's cause for serious injuries and he has a tendency to throw those dangerous passes to make them a little more dangerous for his receivers so that's not great and to just bottle this up he got replaced at Oklahoma and now he's transferring to South Carolina and generally, when you transfer, it's for two two reasons. Um, you're either in a Joe Burrow situation where you're not playing and you want to transfer somewhere where you can play, or you need to get a fresh start because you're not living up to the expectations that your school had for you when you got there. And I think Spencer Rattler's the uh, second situation there. So, again... He might develop well at South Carolina. We might see some better things next year, but 
if you're transferring to a different school, I can't put you in my top 10. The next quarterback that didn't make the top 10, I have Sam Hartman, quarterback at Wake Forest. For him, he seems athletic, very accurate. He has good improv. He can throw well on the run uh, when he's scrambling or rolling out, that kind of thing. He has good touch on his deep routes. He's able to hit those those passes well. But he also has times where his accuracy is all over the place. And he's thrown two interceptions in a game. He's thrown four interceptions in some games. His composure is average. And you're seeing, I think... An explosive player that can be really, really explosive on offense. But he can also have some really ugly turnovers that are kind of hard to put together in a single quarterback. So I can't put him on my top ten either. Another one that didn't quite make it was Grayson McCall out of Coastal Carolina. Now, if I did a top 11 quarterback prospects, he would be 11, Grayson McCall. He has good vision. He has good zip, good good power on his throws. But he forces some stuff. <coughs> he has good football IQ. You see when they're running the RPO, he knows when to keep it and gain some yardage on his own. He has some amounts of athleticism. He's not going to be a world breaker in terms of his speed and physicality, but he, he, he can get the job done in situations when he, when he needs to. Um, when the pocket collapses, um, not great improv, improviser coming out of something like that. He can make accurate throws that make those more dangerous routes safer for receivers. So he puts the ball in certain places where the receiver can catch it and kind of go down quickly so they're not eating a hit as soon as they catch the ball. He can hit tight windows. Improv can sometimes be good. But again, if that pocket collapses, it's difficult for him. I know that that when the pocket collapses, it's usually difficult for quarterbacks, but some of the better ones can get out of that situation earlier, read the room a little earlier, and not force a, a sack when they could have created something. But he also does well when he is able to scramble or able to get out of the pocket. He does keep his eyes up for passes that open up downfield before he tucks it and runs it. So some good things, but also some things that are holding him just back a little bit out of the top ten. And then... One more that I think should be important to keep an eye on is Anthony Richardson out of Florida. Now, he was a freshman. He only played a few games. And from what I saw, he has a very strong arm. He can read read uh, routes quickly, see, see receivers open quickly. He's composed. He seems patient. He seems very, very athletic and very, very physical. Um, He's a bigger guy. He can make guys miss. um, And he's not afraid to run through a defender if he needs to. 
But, again, he stares down receivers sometimes, and he forces those throws, and then those throws, of course, turn into interceptions. And, again, he played Georgia. This was the game that I think kind of solidified what I'm talking about here. Played Georgia. They were down 0-24, to and they ended up having to bench him because he just wasn't producing enough. He wasn't staying composed in that game. But, again, he was a freshman. I think he only played like one or two games. So, maybe not this year, but if he develops a little more, two years from now, that might be somebody that could be very, very good. So those are some of my honorable mention or quarterbacks that I looked at, but don't quite have all of the pieces that I think are going to be good qualities that transition well to the NFL. All right, now let's look at my top ten. So, number 10, I have Jaron Hall out of BYU. Now, I saw him play Utah and Baylor. Those are the two main games that I looked at when watching his film. He seemed patient in the pocket. He had good eyes downfield while scrambling. You know, when they when they scramble out, some some quarterbacks will just tuck it and run immediately and just ignore all of the routes that are being run out by those receivers. But the good ones can, when they scramble, they're still looking downfield to see if someone opens up. And sometimes, and usually they do. Usually there's a receiver that opens up downfield to get you 8, 10 yards instead of you running it and getting 3. So he does well with that. He does have some accuracy concerns. Um, I did see him throw pretty well on the run. He has... He had better deep accuracy when he played Baylor. Um, he has good football IQ. Again, when you're running that run option, he knows when to keep it. He knows when to throw passes, um, when to wait an extra second to hit that next open area. Um, he seems very composed, but he struggles to feel the blitz a little bit. And when you can't feel that blitz pressure, that's somewhat of a concern. And that can result in turnovers. But I think he does well being a quarterback that kind of fits the market now of a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes where they need to be able to escape the pocket if they need to and improvise and kind of play backyard football a little bit. Just kind of find somebody downfield, get a scrappy, weird, odd-looking 10-yard pass on paper. But he has a lot of good qualities right now that I think he could improve on for next year. So I got Jaron Hall out of BYU at number 10. Number 9, I have Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. Now Tennessee, with him, they were one of, one of the most explosive offenses in college football last year. I think they had an average of 40 points per game. And Tennessee also has a very, very good run game. So he played more of a play-action type quarterback. So he had good touch on his throws when he needed to. 
He seems athletic. He can improvise. He seems very calm, very composed. And he's essentially more of a facilitator for a run-heavy offense. So, again, as a quarterback, quarterback, he's not usually relied on heavily to throw the ball. He's, he, he throws the ball very situationally, but he does well. He seems very reliable. He's athletic-ish. Um, but again, I saw him play South Carolina and Missouri, so not phenomenal teams. And he did well against them. But then I saw him play Georgia, and that was a different story. Um, I think he showed decent composure against that tough team. I think he still had some uh, a good amount of football IQ going into that game, knowing when to throw it, when to throw it away, those kinds of things. But he looked very human against that Georgian offense who was also able to stop the Tennessee run. Um, so he didn't look as athletic against these smaller teams than he did against Georgia. He had three interceptions. So, but Tennessee, or up until this game in Tennessee, Georgia did not allow a touchdown in the first quarter. And Tennessee was the team that was able to break that streak. So Tennessee was the first team to actually score a touchdown against Georgia in the first quarter of their game. So I think there's something to be said about that. And again, it was a very explosive offense with him at quarterback. So we'll see how he develops again. But teams like Georgia, Alabama, that's the real litmus test. So we have to see how he does next year against Georgia and see if we're seeing improvements here or if he's going to do very well against these smaller teams and then see how he stacks up against championship-level, college championship-level teams. So I have Hendon Hooker, Tennessee, number nine. Now, number eight, I have C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State. Now, I know what you're thinking. How can a quarterback that's winning all those games at Ohio State be 8th and that's part of it right there he's winning all these games at Ohio State and what I mean by that is I looked through his film and I saw bubble screen that went for 15 yards a bubble screen that went for 15 yards I watched him play Michigan State where he could pretty much throw the ball wherever he wanted because Michigan State doesn't have defensive backs. Their pass defense is not very good, if terrible, if you'd rather use that word. More bubble screen stuff when they played Oregon. I saw a lot of short curls, out routes, bubble screens that because... Ohio State's receivers were so much better than any defense that they played that they were able to throw a bubble screen out there and then the receiver, after catching the ball, was able to be athletic enough to gain 15 yards out of something like that. A bubble screen is designed at most to 
usually gain you five to ten yards at most. And that's what I saw him do. I saw him throw bubble screens. And then I saw him overthrow some passes, throw some passes into bad coverage that were deep downfield. Uh, again, more curls, short passes. He threw some good passes against Michigan State, but they had a terrible pass defense, terrible defensive backs. So he pretty much could put the ball wherever he wanted because there was so much separation between all these guys. But then he played Oregon. More bubble screen stuff. A lot of short throws. Didn't scramble well against Oregon. He had a better second half, but he was very inaccurate at times. And he overthrew some passes. And he threw stuff into coverage. So what I saw out of him, out of C.J. Stroud, was he's winning games... The Ohio State way, where I saw him play Minnesota, and they won 45-31. to 31. Give credit to P.J. Fleck for pushing them that far. But I saw them win games the way Ohio State wins games. They just have better players. And so because you have these bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic, more physical players... You're just going to win because of that, not because you're playing better football or you have just a better overall team. You just have better talent. I didn't see anything here that was world-breaking. So, again, they lost to Oregon, if that tells you anything. They lost to Michigan. So, he might develop better next year. He might be more of a reason why they're doing well on offense, but... Some of these games didn't quite look like he was going to be beating Alabama or Georgia just because of the things that they had him do. So, yeah, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State, I have him at 8. That's the best I could do. Now, number 7, I have Will Levis out of Kentucky. Now this guy, I watched him play Georgia, Florida, and Missouri. Those were the three main games I looked at. He was very, very big, very, very physical, very fast, very athletic. He made some of these bigger schools, uh, Georgia and Florida. He was able to... He was fast enough to keep up with those guys. He was fast enough to run through defenders, run past defenders, make a miss... He has a very, very strong arm. He has good vision. He can hit tight windows. His deep routes, are the accuracy on those is a little iffy. Um, I saw some wide receivers drop a few of his passes. But any throw that he needs to make, not a concern. He has very, very strong, very, very strong arm. Does have some accuracy concerns slightly. But he almost has too much strength in his arm. Um, he, he's making these passes and they're bouncing right off his receivers like, like they're th being thrown too hard. Or they're slipping through their hands like it's being thrown too hard. So, he has good composure. He's very, very aggressive. He's very, very physical. He can run. But in terms of throwing the ball, yeah, this might seem a lot like Josh Allen where 
he has almost too much strength, and he has to learn when to pull back that strength a little bit just to put it where he needs to, not to try to burn it through anybody. So, but he has, again, I think my biggest trait that I like about this guy is that he's very, very big and he's very, very physical, right? He gives me Josh Allen, Ben Roethlisberger type vibes where if he needs to run it, he will. And if he needs to run through a linebacker, he will. Or if he needs to run through a corner, he will. So if he can work on his arm strength, work on um, not putting so much energy into that throw and just zipping it in where it needs to and not trying to throw it through his receiver, I think he'll be a lot better. And then when he's on the run a little bit, his eyes aren't always downfield. But when you're that big and that physical, I think that you get the sense that you can gain those yards on your own when you're that big. So some things to work on, really more of, of his throws, more of his accuracy, um, um, more of how much sauce he puts on the ball when he throws it. But otherwise, he's got a lot of good traits that uh, for a round that r throwing the ball, that accuracy issue, um, a lot of other physical aspects that are really, really good here. So, again, Will Levis, out of Kentucky, number seven. Number six, number six, I have Stetson Bennett out of Georgia. Now, again, he, I saw him play against Florida, and then I saw him play against Alabama in the national championship. So I saw, I could see that he, he can throw well on the run. He has a good deep ball, um, good touch. He doesn't have as much arm strength as some of these other guys, but he's athletic. He did seem kind of hyper, kind of skittish. Um, not as much composure as I thought he would have. But he did start to show some better composure in the national championship game against Alabama. Um, he threw a check down when he needed to. He didn't try to force some stuff. You know, ran the ball on third down, lived to fight another day. If you need to punt it, you need to punt it. Some of that stuff that is hard to recognize as a quarterback that sometimes you do have to recognize, okay, I might have to run it on third down, get a couple yards, punt it, try again later, but kind of let things develop. But he's all, he also forces some stuff. But I think next year he's going to have a lot of opportunities, especially at Georgia. He's going to have a lot of opportunities to kind of develop more of these things and just look better at Georgia. Because, again, Georgia is very, very good. They've got great talent. But if he's able to get more out of them, which he did very well, I mean... Georgia was, of course, they won the national championship for a reason. They were a very strong team. So, again, having just another year to develop these things, I think, is really promising. So, definitely some things to work on. But I definitely think there's some diamond-in-the-rough type talent here that could do well at the next level. So, again, Stetson Bennett, Georgia, I've got him at sixth. Number five, 
I have Bryce Young out of Alabama. Now, again, I know Bryce Bryce Young, I know Alabama, but again, I I saw some good things. <clears throat> I saw that he had some good movement. I saw him play. <clears throat> I saw him play Texas A&M, Arkansas, and then I again saw him play Georgia. He had good movement. He can scramble. He can improvise. He does a lot of the short screen, bubble screen stuff. Um, he has a strong enough arm, but again, in the pocket, he does seem to not always be able to improvise. He definitely can, but um, sometimes when that blitz comes, he doesn't quite recognize it quickly enough, and he forces a sack. He does have some accuracy concerns. Um, he does throw some dangerous passes, like I talked about earlier, where he's hitting guys. Uh, he's, he's throwing to receivers that, once they catch it, they're immediately going to get hit hard by a defensive back. And then, again, some more short stuff. I saw him overthrow some passes. But he has a fast read. He seems very level-headed. He seems like he can hit tight windows. Um... So, again, I think Bryce Young and Stetson Bennett, I think both of them, if you give them another year to develop, you might see some really, really good things. Because um, what I'm seeing a lot of is just stuff that a younger quarterback might have issues with. So, next year, develops a little bit of, in the offseason. He might do better improvising out of the pocket he might have some better accuracy for downfield stuff but they need Alabama gets too cute with knowing that they have better talent and so they throw these bubble screens knowing full well that their receiver is going to just beat the defensive back and gain all those yards when at the next level at the NFL level that doesn't happen that way the the bubble screen is much easier to defend the defensive backs are much, much better. It's just a different game altogether at the next level, obviously. So I think the Alabama needs to work on getting Bryce Young more next-level type passes, next-level type situations where he's actually throwing legitimate quarterback passes posts, outs, in routes, slants, things that are not just bubble screens and short curls that just you know that your receivers are going to get them and then break for great yardage just because they're so much bigger and better than the teams they play. Don't play into that. Try to be more explosive and see how Bryce Young does. But I put him here. He's in my top five. So Bryce Young, Alabama, number five. Number four, I have Tanner McKee out of Stanford. Now, when I saw him play, I saw him play Oregon and Washington. Those are the two main games I saw him in. He gave me Peyton Manning, Tom Brady vibes. He's not going to beat you out of the pocket. But he can put the ball where he wants to. He has great composure. He's very accurate. 
He can read. He has fast reads. He can. He knows when receivers are going to be open. And he hits them quickly. He's a great pocket passer. Right. If you give him time in the pocket, he can put it where he wants to. He's not super athletic. He, he's not going to beat anybody out of the pocket. He's not going to scramble well. He's not going to speed past these defenders and these linebackers. He's very, very tall. He's six foot six, tallest guy here on this list. He seems very calm. In in some situations, he kind of took the pass that was available, kind of a check down, um, but it still broke out for some good yards. Um, again, doesn't scramble well. Sometimes he forces some stuff, but I saw him play Oregon. And he seemed to have the stuff that can play at the next level. He seemed to have that next level ability in composure, passing from the pocket, kind of reading things that are being given to him and taking them, not trying to force too much. Um, but I saw a lot of good things in terms of playing like one of those older guys. Right, that, that last generation where you sit in the pocket, you're just a sniper from there, doesn't get skittish in the pocket. Once it starts to break down a little bit, he can stand well there, and he hits guys, and he's just very, very accurate. So, again, next year, it'll be good to watch, see how he does, because some of these things, the athleticism is something that teams are looking for a little more now, but if he can improve on that a little bit and then improve on the already great aspects that he has in terms of accuracy, again, he has great composure. So I think you're seeing tangibles that transition well to the NFL. So I think it'll be very fun to see how he does next year. So I have Tanner McKee out of Stanford at number four. Number three... <clears throat> Number three, I have Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami. Now, him, I saw that he had a good arm. He can run. It's not his ideal option. He can run in situations when he needs to. But he has phenomenal touch on those deeper routes. He has great accuracy. Good touch on those balls. Again, when, when you're throwing that deep route and you have to throw it overhead and uh, receivers have to catch it in that hand basket, it's very, very easy to overthrow those passes. But Tyler Van Dyke really doesn't do that. He, he knows his receivers speed well. He's able to hit them in stride. Very, very accurate, given time in the pocket. He can improvise. Rolling out and throwing on the run isn't his best attribute but if you give him time in the pocket he can he can hit any pass that he needs to um he, he's a little athletic but not georgia alabama level beat them with speed athletic but very very accurate especially on those deeper routes and I think, again, when you're dealing with receivers that are very, very fast and can get 40 yards in a few seconds at the NFL level, being able to hit those deeper routes, I think, is very, very important. So, a lot of great things here. We'll see if he gets a little more 
physical, a little more athletic next year. But I think Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami is a really, really good quarterback that we should keep an eye on. So I have Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami at number three. All right. Number two, I have Jake Hayner out of Fresno State. Now, this guy has, without a doubt, the best accuracy of anybody on here. Right? Within 10 to 15 yards, out routes, curl routes, in routes, posts, any kind of thing within 15 yards, it's almost an automatic with him. He's able to hit quarterbacks in stride. He has a very fast read. He improvises very, very well. He's athletic, very, very fast, very fast reads, keeps games at his pace. He, again, he's able to put the ball wherever he needs to, hit players in stride. He's not throwing behind them. He's throwing the ball where it needs to be. And I saw his game against Oregon, and he was almost perfect. I mean, every single one of his passes were, if it was a dangerous pass, he threw it where he needed to so that the receiver could catch it and not eat that hit so hard. Uh, in routes, he was hitting, or crossing routes, hitting receivers in stride at five yards. They were able to get to 15 just because of how well-placed his pass was to these guys. Again, very, very accurate. Great, compo good composure. And again, when I saw him play Oregon, they almost beat Oregon, Fresno State. He did make a key mistake at the end of the game in a fumble where he was running the ball, but he didn't quite tuck it when he needed to before getting hit. So again, that's on him. But if you look at his accuracy, his arm, his IQ, all these other pieces... If you take away that fumble, obviously that's a timely turnover that, of course, is going to affect a game. But they could have beat Oregon. It wasn't close. It wasn't a. It was a situation where he fumbled it, and then Oregon had to score. So again, that that relies on his defense. So again, that mistake was very, very detrimental to their success. But what I saw before that was very, very good football. Very, very accurate. Very, very good quarterback play. So I would really keep an eye on Jake Hayner out of Fresno State next year and see just how good they are because I think he's one of the best out there right now. So I have Jake Hayner, Fresno State, number two. Number one. Caleb Williams out of Oklahoma. I saw him play Texas and Kansas. And I saw that he improvised well. He sits in the pocket well. So when he has time in the pocket, he's able to throw it. He steps up if he needs to. If it does collapse, he knows how to improvise. Get outside. Runs when he needs to. Throw downfield. He's able to read plays well. Again, they did a lot of the RPO there. He seems very patient. He seems very, very composed. Again, he has a strong arm. He can throw on the run. He can hit those tight windows. 
and he has, back to that composure, <clears throat> he has that level of composure that he will still be aggressive after making a mistake. And sometimes that's difficult to do. Sometimes when a quarterback throws an interception on a 15-yard post, the next time they come out, they're a little skittish and they try to build up their confidence again by hitting the out route, the bubble screen, the five-yard in, a crossing route a crossing route, some of those shorter passes just to kind of build up his confidence, get him back get him back to a better point. But not Caleb Williams. I saw him throw an interception. Next time they came out, his first pass, 25 yard, I believe it was a 25 R 25 yard uh post in route. And he had no hesitation. He hit that route as soon as it was open. So that aggressiveness was still there. And Texas and Kansas, Texas was the game that Spencer Rattler played some of it in the beginning. And then Caleb Williams replaced him. And Williams was able to come back and beat Texas. They were down against Texas by a good margin. And he was able to come back and beat them. And then Kansas, same thing. They were down, but then Caleb Williams was able to bring his team back and win that game. And I think that is something that you're going to see at the NFL level where you're not always going to be able to play with a lead like Ohio State, Alabama. You're not going to be able to win by scoring 42 points in the second half or the first half and then kind of being average in the second half and just having that much of a buffer where your defense can bail you out because they're going to throw these errant long passes just to try to speed everything up. No, no, no. Caleb Williams can play from behind and win these games. And I think that's a very good intangible in terms of his resume. And he took over. He took over for Spencer Rattler. He took somebody's job. That's not easy to do, especially at Oklahoma. So again, I'm seeing a lot of things. Even the intangibles, I'm seeing things that transition well to the NFL level. So I have Caleb Williams, number one. And just to recap, my top ten. I have Jaron Hall, number ten, out of BYU. Hendon Hooker, out of Tennessee, number nine. C.J. Stroud, out of Ohio State, number 8. Will Levis, out of Kentucky, at number 7. Stenson Bennett, out of Georgia, at number 6. Bryce Young, out of Alabama, at number 5. Tanner McKee, out of Stanford, at number 4. Tyler Van Dyke, out of Miami, at number 3. Jake Hayner, out of Fresno State, at number 2. And Caleb Williams, out of Oklahoma, number one. Now, let's go ahead and transition from college back to the NFL. And I want to talk about <clears throat> the Lions as a franchise and the direction they're heading and kind of the mindset that I think they should have here next year and two years from now and so on. Now, 
these last two seasons, they've had Brad Holmes <clears throat> as their GM. And I think if you ask a lot of people out there, they would say that what he's been able to do, or at least the precedent that he's been able to build in terms of the draft, I think is very, very promising. If you look at last year, he took Panay Sewell, one of, if not the best, offensive lineman in that draft, fell to him at number seven, and then he took Amon Ross St. Brown, a receiver, out of the fourth round, and then this year he took, arguably, on most teams' draft boards, the best player in this draft with Aiden Hutchinson. Then he moved up 20 spots from 32 to 12 for essentially a third-round pick. And my first reaction was, okay, they're going to move up and grab Malik Willis. That was my first reaction. Because that's usually what Detroit does. They'll move up and they'll grab something that, or they'll grab a, a position that I think is not necessary in their case right now. But they didn't. They moved up and got, before his injury, Jameson Williams, before his injuries, before his injury, the best wide receiver in his class. Then they grabbed another defensive lineman, a safety, and so on and so forth. They doubled down. They grabbed two defensive linemen. They grabbed a safety. They grabbed players that were very, very valuable in terms of their position to the Lions. Their biggest needs... Defensive ends, pass rushers, to get pressure on the quarterback. And they grabbed the best, not just the best defensive end, but arguably the best player overall in this draft. And then they took defensive backs. He took safeties. So they took positions that they needed they didn't just kind of take whatever they wanted. They didn't pull an Eric Ebron. They didn't take somebody that they thought that they needed and missed out on Super Bowl quality talent. So the fact that he set that precedent for these last two years, I think is a great indication that he knows what he's doing and he's going to be successful in terms of drafting the right types of players addressing the correct needs that the Lions have every year. And he's also yet to draft a quarterback. And I think that's very important because I've talked about in the past that when you take a quarterback, especially in the first or second round, especially in the first round more, when you do that, what that means as a team when you take a quarterback, you are telling your owner, your team, the franchise, your fans, the other teams in your division, the other teams in your conference, the other teams in the league, this team is ready to push for a playoff spot, to push for trying to win their division, trying to contend for their division. 
and trying to start having a postseason push. So, essentially, when you take a quarterback that high in the draft, you essentially, as a GM and a coach, you start your doomsday clock. Because once you do that, within a year or two, you should be playoff-level successful. Winning your division, or at least contending for it, getting a wild-card spot, winning a playoff game, if not more. Because if you don't get to that level of success as a head coach and a GM, you lose your job. We've seen that happen all the time. Matt Nagy took Justin Fields. Is he coaching the Vikings anymore? Or sorry, not the Vikings, the the Bears? No? Nope. So the fact that he hasn't taken a quarterback yet is a great indication of he knows where this team is, he knows how to build it, he knows what positions need to be addressed, and he knows that he can be patient because he does have Jared Goff, which we've talked about this a lot with Tier 2 and Tier 1 quarterbacks. A Tier 2 quarterback, like a Kirk Cousins or a Jared Goff, or a Carson Wentz, Derek Carr, those kinds of guys, you can win games. Or Ryan Tannehill, that's another perfect example. You can win games. You can win your division. You can win your conference. Ryan Tannehill with the Titans won their conference. He got the first seed. He got the first round by. But when it becomes crunch time in the postseason, if they even get there, they generally do not perform to the upper echelon level like a Matthew Stafford or a Tom Brady or a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen, right? It's a completely different level. So knowing that he has a viable option in Jared Goff, right, you have the potential to win games with him, Again, if they get to the playoffs, that's a completely different situation. And we might see not the same success that Jared Goff saw with the Rams here in Detroit in terms of the playoffs. But still, you can win games with him. And Brad Holmes showed us that he felt this way by not taking Malik Willis, Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett. He didn't take any of these guys. So he knows where his team is at, he knows it's not quite ready, that he needs probably at least, you know, this year could be successful again, where you could see six, seven, eight, maybe even nine, maybe ten wins. I still think that you're probably going to see seven, maybe eight, depending on how things go. He knows that he can win that many games with Jared Goff. And if he took a quarterback this year, he would have started his doomsday clock. So he knew to wait. And that's a very wise decision. And that's a great indication that he actually knows what he's doing. So the more he's there, the more drafts, the more transactions, trades, etc., the more he's able to kind of 
develop this team effectively, I think Detroit is finally starting to lose that boogeyman that's been in that locker room all these years. And I think we might, if again, if things go well, if he develops the team well, if Aiden Hutchinson hit, hits, if Jamison William hits, if their other picks in the draft, their later picks end up hitting, doing well, being Pro Bowl level, Jeff Okuda is coming back from injury. And regardless of how you feel about that pick, again, taking him in at third, again, everyone knows that that was not the place to take a defensive back, although I believe another defensive back went this year at three, but that's beside the point. He's coming back off of his injury. If he's able to play, maybe not Pro Bowl level, but if this is his best year on record, that will be a huge help for the Lions. But I think we're going to start seeing, again, we have a very, very easy schedule this year. We have a lot of optimism, I think, with Ben Johnson, their offensive coordinator, and Dan Campbell, their head coach. I think there's a lot of optimism. There's a lot of buy-in mentality for for players to, to want to play for this head coach. Um, again, we'll still have to see if he develops well as a play caller, as an actual head coach. Because at this point, he's, with, with Matt, the, the previous regime, with Matt Patricia, Matt Patricia created a very, very toxic environment that made it almost impossible for players to buy in. And I think that was a lot of concern for Dan Campbell in terms of, is he able to turn this terrible work environment around? And he did it almost immediately. So he's able to get all these players to buy in. So if he's able to start winning, which of course you always want to do, but I'm saying he's still very unproven. He's only been a head coach for one year. So we need to keep an eye on Dan Campbell's success next year. If they win six games, I think that's going to be very underwhelming. If they win eight or nine, I think that would be awesome. They're at least heading in the right direction. Um, and I talked about it last week. If they win nine games, they could potentially, depending on the teams that they beat, if they win nine games, they could have a wild card spot. They could, potentially. But I'm not trying to say that the Lions are going to make it to the playoffs, but if they win nine games, they definitely have a chance. Either way. You're seeing all of these things fall into place, right? You have a head coach that's very, very charismatic. Players want to play for him. And offensively, the last six games of the season, when Ben Johnson, I think, had a big hand to play in their philosophy on offense, and, of course, Dan Campbell calling the plays, Aaron Glenn, their defensive coordinator, doing a phenomenal job of having players play above their actual level. Now he's going to have actual quality, hopefully Pro Bowl level talent on defense, or at least leaning towards that way eventually after they develop a little bit. Not, But now that he has actual talent, and the offense is going to be 
continuing to improve. Again, they grabbed Jamison Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown coming into his second year, DeAndre Swift coming off injury, TJ Hawkinson coming off injury. You're seeing a lot of quality pieces, a lot of good optimistic, optimistic things falling into place. I think Brad Holmes might finally start to develop this team to get rid of the boogeyman and to get them to be an actual team that when other teams in the league look at the Lions, they don't think that that's a guaranteed win. Because they did that last year. And they might do that this year. But you're seeing things in their building, in their franchise, you're seeing things that are actually quality decisions, are actual leadership, tangible things that other teams in the league can respect. So it will be very, very important to see how they do this year and see any trade transactions that they do, anything that, any contract adjustments that they make, what they do with Jared Goff, if they trade for anybody, who they take in the draft. But the mentality there in Detroit, I think is finally starting to change for the better, and we might be very surprised with the product that they have, that they develop this year. Last little bit of news before we go. Jimmy Garoppolo was excused from the 49ers mandatory minicamp this week. And, again, he's coming off a shoulder injury. He's still recovering, so they excused him from it so that he could rest a little bit. But the fact that they also excused him from the minicamp also alludes to the point that I believe that Trey Lance, or it seems that Trey Lance is finally going to take over this offense. Now, this seemed like the obvious approach or this is what we expected to happen. But I've also heard some reports that Trey Lance has at times been underwhelming for the offense out in San Francisco. So we know that Jimmy G, he, he's good. He's a, he's a quality, high-level Tier 2. And we know that they wanted to transition to Trey Lance. But... Is he actually an improvement? Is Trey Lance actually going to be an improvement from Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't know. This might be a situation where it was like with Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith all those years ago, where they sat Patrick Mahomes for a year to kind of let him get his feet wet, let him develop under a quarterback, then ship out Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes comes in. Phenomenal quarterback since then. Right? I don't know if that's this situation or if it was a legitimate battle in the offseason and Trey Lance barely eked out a win against Garoppolo. I don't know. And I think in the preseason and the first couple games, and of course in the offseason we'll see what other things develop. Because again, they still haven't traded him. And I think because of his shoulder injury and him recovering from a shoulder injury that they're not quite sure what his market looks like. But 
I know that they want to have Trey Lance kind of solidify his place in the locker room, which is fine. I know that's the direction that they want it to go. But if he doesn't develop to and end up being better than Jimmy Garoppolo, that's going to be a serious concern. And you're already starting to try and cut ties with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I don't think that's going to be a great situation if you end up having to bring Jimmy Garoppolo back in to replace Trey Lance later on if you can't trade him. So this could get very, very muddy in San Francisco. But they made that decision. They wanted to move forward with Trey Lance anyway. So we'll see what develops. Hopefully he does well. Otherwise, we might see San Francisco take a step back. But I think Trey Lance has the ability to be a higher-level quarterback. But again, he's still young. This is technically his freshman season if he does come out this year. So we'll see how he does. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next week.